I understand. These are horrid, though. Like, I know. What's wrong with oh, well, them? I bought them for like nine ninety nine. They're not great headphones. I understand that. <laughs> if you don't like my headphones, you can just get your own. I know. And I'm, I couldn't really hear them, and they were too big, so they sat, like, down here. So I kept, like, trying to slide them up. And then I'm like, I wonder uh, if they can hear me, like, messing with Lord. them. <laughs> Terrible. Anyway. Are you ready? Let's do it. Okay. Welcome to another edition of Angel Talk, Reflections of an Ambitious Angel Mom. My name is Philip Kerrigan. I am the Executive Director of Raise for Rowan. We are the organization that helps families suffering through the loss of a child with funeral cost assistance and emotional support. I am joined by, as always, the Ambitious Angel Mom herself. Say hello to the people, Bryn. Hello, lovely people. How are you today? I'm great. Uh, it is gorgeous outside. Lovely yes. day. Loving our weather. Yes, yes. What did you do? What did you do this weekend? Oh, do you guys really want to know? No, no. Nobody wants to know. <laughs> well, we got three cows. Uh, three. <laughs> we got three, cows. You got cows. You yes. have cows now. We got cows. Incredible. Incredible. So, and then one is really, really tame and sweet, and her name's Penelope, mm-hmm. and the kids can literally sit on her and- Amazing. And just like- I bet, the, the I bet they were super pumped to see a group of cows make it to the-, to the Oh, room. they, like, pure joy. Yeah. And honestly, people are probably like, why is she getting cows? Because we're not actually butchering the cows. They're yeah. my husband's brother's, his cows. He has his own herd and everything. But um, so we wanted a couple lawn ornaments for the kids because, mm-hmm. you know, they can fill the water trough and they yeah. can, I guess, kind of grow up in a little farm life yeah. setting. Because yeah. I want them to, like, learn how to take care of things. Yeah. And, um, this is very cool. You, yeah. you, you embraced it. I like it. I, you embraced the well. farm life. Might I like as well. It. You yeah. know, we've been home more with the whole quarantine thing. Yeah. And it's really, I guess, showed me that I want my kids to kind of grow up in a similar fashion that me and my husband grew up. Very Because cool. we have lost that in this this day and age. Yes, you know, we where have. not very many kids get to embrace that I know. slow pace of life and, you know, have animals and things to do outside. Yep. So we're kind of trying to embrace that right now while we're home more and give them things to do very cool so this episode is not about cows no (laughs) (laughs) it's actually not at all related cows so now i'm on a tangent about penelope (laughs) so sorry listeners yes we were joined by an incredible special guest trooper dion glover of the washington state patrol we talked about grief and law enforcement and from the outset, what I wanted to kind of point out, and, and you hear, you'll hear this when we, when we also uh, address Elijah Brown's story uh, next week, Race for Own is not a political organization. This is not a political podcast. But we would be remiss to not address things that were topical. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of these conversations about law enforcement currently happening. And one of the things that we do pride ourselves on here as an organization is bringing humanity to those who we've lost and to families who have been suffering through pretty uh, pretty horrible and unthinkable tragedy. Mm-hmm. We try to bring humanity out. Right. And I don't know about you, Bryn, but specifically for me, one of the things that has been, I don't know, lacking on every side of, of, of these conversations is a sense of humanity. Right. That you're dealing with people who are human beings, who have deep feelings just like you do. And we say it all the time with regards to grief. It is a universal trait. It right. does not matter who you voted for. It does not matter how much money you make. It does not matter the color of your skin. Um, you will grieve. 
And we sort of as a country today are going through this very, for different reasons, very national moment of grief, whether it's from COVID or whether it's what happened with with uh, with George Floyd or whether it's what's happening right now mm-hmm. in these cities with law enforcement. And so what we wanted to do is we wanted to bring some humanity to this conversation right. with the hopes that now we can address each other as just people who have complex feelings, who feel things all the time. Right. And Trooper Glover was just a delightful person to talk yeah. to. I'm honored that he was willing to come on and just share what it's like to work every day in in his job and deal with grief and deal with loss and see these horrific scenes and stuff. But it does show you some ca- compassion to their side of things. Yes. And, um, and really that they're humans too. They're not just all robots out, you know, walking yeah. around trying to make people's lives miserable. Like right. they're humans and they're dads and they're husbands. And I just loved his heart and that he was willing to share um, his, his personal story of yes. loss and, yes. It was pretty amazing to listen to. Yeah, so he does have a story of loss. We brought him on specifically because he lost a partner, Sean O'Connell, who died in a routine sort of traffic accident. Mm -hmm. He was a a motorcycle trooper. And we talked to Dion about the feelings he had that came with it, what happened that day of, and then what happened after that. And, you know, we do address, you know, some of the global issues in a, in a very sort of light way. But what our real intention here was to do was to talk about Dion, as we have done on this show a lot. Talk about universal issues, but do it through the lens of a person's individual experience. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we did here. Dion talks about the feelings that he had afterwards directly. He talks a little bit about just kind of you you did when we first starting to, to start these podcasts about how the grief catches up with him later, about yeah. how he tries to do things to to run away from it or run, not address it. You can't it. hide. It's going right. to catch up to you. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of that sort of commonality in there and just kind of talks about how today he interacts with um, troopers that he now supervises. Yeah. And he almost talks about them like little baby cubs. Like they're his, his students. Yeah, like they're really, his kids. Yeah. It was really, it was really adorable. Full disclosure, uh, Officer Dion, or Trooper Dion and I have known each other for quite a while. So uh, we were pretty silly for some of these, for some of these questions. But <laughs> <laughs> when are you not silly? Right. That's true. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to bother you too much more about, about his story. We want him to be the one who actually tells his story and shares his feelings. We'll come back. Uh, we'll come back after the interview's over. But here is our interview with Trooper Dion Glover. Now we welcome Trooper Dion Glover. Trooper Dion Glover, thank you for coming on the podcast. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me. <laughs> Dion and I have been friends for a while now. Dion, I think we've been friends for almost like the entire time that I've been married. So 10, 11 years, right? We go back yeah, a while. A long, long ways. Yeah. yeah. You, had hair, cool. you had hair when I first met you. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> now it's all gone. Oh. Now it's all gone. Can yeah, I ask I'm, how you guys I, met? I, oh, how we met? Yeah. How did we meet? We met through, I think, a family. Well, our spouses, actually. Yeah, I mm-hmm. think it was a family event uh, because uh, my wife yes. and his sister-in-law went to hygiene school together. That's right. So oh, that's we were neat. at um, either a graduation party Yep. Or we were at a dinner or a luncheon or something. So we've been friends since then. Yeah. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Basically, I mean, we spoke the exact same way to people. We worked a room. It was basically, it was yeah. like love at first sight. Between <laughs> Pretty much. We locked guys from across the room. Yeah. That's perfect. You know, I don't hear him speak that way about too many people no, in his life. No, well, no. Dion and I. Me, you had a good blush. connection. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Yeah. So we talk a lot about college football and, and all that sort of stuff. So it's super fun. 
But he likes Notre Dame for some reason. I don't get it. Yeah, I I know, I know. But and I can't get into the Oklahoma thing either. I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> <laughs> so, but one of the things we want to talk to you about today is actually your profession. You have a you have a story of loss on the job that I think our listeners would be very interested to, to hear about and and how you navigate through that grief. But first, let's get a little bit into your history. How did you become a police officer? What made you want to get into law enforcement in the first place? Well, that's actually a kind of interesting story. It kind of starts with a, a, a lost story a little bit. I was hmm. uh, a young guy, uh, grew up in Kitsap County. And uh, I think, I believe it was 1999, there was the Mary Payne Warehouse fire in Seattle. Big structure fire, fire and uh, a few firefighters lost their lives. Lo and behold, my neighbor across the street was just this guy. He was like the legend, super in shape. Everybody wanted to be this guy. And uh, he was one of the firefighters killed in, in that event. Wow. So wow. ironically, I thought I wanted to be a firefighter. Oh, so wow. I go to I thought I wanted to volunteer and all this stuff. And I wanted to be a firefighter. Yeah, I realized quickly I wasn't brought into a burning building. So. <laughs> yeah, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, I needed to find a different way to serve. Um, and I didn't know it right away what that was. So my life con con continued. I ended up meeting some friends that were both troopers at the time, and it kind of just worked out that uh, one of the guys was like, hey, you want to go test? I never had really thought about serving in that fashion, and they hired me, lo and behold. Yeah, yeah. Can, so, you, uh, can, can, yeah. You, talk about, can you talk about your time with the Washington State Patrol, the friendships you've created over the years, and, and how it is to, to work for, for the patrol? Oh, I love working with the patrol. I've been with the patrol for a little over 17 years now almost. Wow. And it's been an amazing time. I've spent uh, some amazing time. I'm a sergeant currently in King County. I've spent 10 plus years, almost 10 plus years uh, riding motorcycles for the State Patrol, which was just a fantastic time. They paid me to ride a motorcycle. So yeah. it yeah. was pretty amazing. Yeah. My and I've, and the, the perks relationship of the job. Been amazing. Yeah. Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. My son, John, is super jealous of you being able to ride a motorcycle for a while. He loves it. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Like, yeah, they gave me a motorcycle. I'm like, hey, go do work. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, yes, I have created uh, lifelong friendships there. The people that I, uh, I spent a lot of time with and the people I've gotten to meet have just been amazing. Uh, the people I've come across uh, from chaplain services to other law enforcement agencies um, have just been fantastic. So my yeah. career has been nothing but great. Obviously, I've gone through a lot of heart. I've been through a fair amount of heartache and other things I've gone through in my career. Yeah. But uh, it's for, you know, that's, that's life. Yeah, right. So let's talk a little bit about that. You are one of the officers. There, there are officers killed in the line of duty all the time. You know, you see it in the news. You are one of the officers who lost a partner uh, in the line of duty. Can you talk a little bit about your partner and share your story of loss? Yeah, so uh, his name was uh, Trooper Sean O'Connell. Uh, he was killed out of duty on May 31st, uh, 2013. Uh, just an amazing man. So there was basically three of us that worked on the weekends. We worked full-time weekends, myself, uh, Sean, and Lance Ramsey. And we were the three guys out there together on the weekends working law enforcement for uh, speed on the freeway through Snohomish, Whatcom, Island County, mm -hmm. and Skagit County. So we're out there doing it together, having a great time. We spent a lot of time together. Um, so Sean... Uh, was he had about 16 years on with the agency. He also rode motorcycles with me. So we were just a few feet from apart um, together. We have some amazing stories and I got to spend a lot of time with him. Um, he's got a couple little kids like I did. And so when you're, when you spend that much time with somebody, you get very, very close to them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, your, your families become close, become friends. Yeah. And Sean was, he was the glue that kind of held our group, our group together. He was very funny. 
piece of color by a banana. And even though he was sitting right next to you, he'd want to tap you and dude, 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 dude. And I'm like, yeah, I hear you, Sean. I got you. I'm right here. I'm standing right here. And, but just an amazing person, funny and uh, just a great family man. And the guy didn't take anything too serious, which was the best part about him. So yeah. whenever I was in a bad mood, he would uh, get you spun back in the right direction. Yeah. So what happened? So can you tell, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what happened the day that, that he passed away without going into too much detail? Sure. Yeah. So actually I wasn't working this day. So my son was just born about six days prior to this. Mm. So he and Lance had just came over to my house two days prior yeah. on a Wednesday actually to uh, meet my son Harrison. And he was just a six-year-old little baby. And yeah. so well, I was super excited to show him off and, and meet, meet him to the fellas. So they came over, took some pictures. And it was funny, actually, Sean took a picture holding Harrison and, and sent his, uh, his wife a text like, I think I want one more. Yeah. She was like, oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. She yeah. was like, uh, no, no, <laughs> no, not doing that. She's good to go. We're set. Yeah, yeah. She was solid. Yeah, she was good. She was like, no. And so that was uh, great. And then, yeah, so that day was a Friday afternoon. It was a spring day. Mm-hmm. It was uh, sunny outside. Um, unfortunately, my grandpa had just passed away a couple of days prior as well. So my family mm-hmm. had come over to my house. Um, I was very close to my grandpa. So this was also another another thing that was uh, weighing heart, heavy on my heart and my mind at this time. So the Skagit Bridge had collapsed, got hit by a semi probably about two, maybe a week earlier than this. Mm-hmm. So the bridge had collapsed in Snohomish in Skagit County. Yeah. So when I five was now down, we had to take all those people that were coming from the north and south to get them around on side streets. Okay. So we were tasked with uh, running traffic control at a lot of these intersections. So they were in Conway, and Conway was a T intersection. So all the cars had to stop before they could make a left turn. So him and Lance went out there to work traffic traffic control that day uh, because of the bridge collapse, and it's a long line. And Sean had ran back to check see how long the line was and see if it was they could get it out real quick so they can head home early that day yeah and uh on, on his uh we turned around on his way back there was a small shoulder he was riding on and there was a road coming up and there was a box truck carrying u.s mail and just at the exact same time that sean was passing that truck the truck had made a right turn to go on to, to go down to side street to go deliver mail to a local business in conway mm-hmm. um a complete fluke, complete accident. Wow. His handlebar unfortunately got stuck on on the on the box truck, and it sucked him under the boat under the truck. Oh wow! So he was, yeah. So he was uh, killed instantly, and um, unfortunately, Lance and it was was there with him to was close by, and somebody told him because Lance was still at the intersection. Sean was about um, maybe a few hundred feet on the other side of him, um, still coming back. So Lance was able to go up there and and be with him. And there was a volunteer fire department right there, right in front of where he was killed, unfortunately. So they went out there and uh, did what they could to help him and quickly scooped him up and brought him to Skagit County Hospital. Um, unfortunately, he wasn't able to survive these injuries. Mm-hmm. And, but So that's what happened that, that day. But I can still remember Lance calling me when I was standing at the bottom of my steps vividly. Um, the back door was open probably about two feet. We had a breeze going through. Um, Ironically, I just cracked a beer open, you know, mm-hmm. with my brother to celebrate my grand my grandfather and stuff. And and I was on the bottom of that stairs standing there and I remember just falling to my knees on my stairway, like in shock. I was oh man. Uh, almost yeah, just when he told me, you could hear the hearing his voice, like he didn't sound like this. This wasn't Lance's voice, this wasn't his upbeat personality that we had, you know, come to get along and grow together. Yeah. And 
it was surreal. Like this can't be real. This can't be happening. Mm-hmm. There's no way this is what you're telling me is real. Like tell him to get up and well, I'll, we'll come pick him up and he'll be okay. Yeah. And, but yeah, that experience right there was just never for grain uh, ingrained in my memory. The smells were, you know, how it was sitting that day and so on mm-hmm. and so forth. Mm-hmm. That's a question I, that something strikes me as y- you become acutely aware of the weather and what it felt like and all those sort of things. Do you find that too? Cause it's oh, almost sure. like f- folks who go through this, you never remember any of those things on like a random Tuesday, mm-hmm. but it's almost like your brain takes it all in. Do you remember that too? Like what it felt like the, what, like, was it sunny outside and all those sort of different things as well? Oh yeah. The day I lost my daughter. I mean that whole, you lose track of time. First of all, I didn't know if it was a minute or if it was a half an hour because it's all such a, a blur. Mm-hmm. But I remember, you know, what my friend's scarf looked like. I remember sitting in the grass and my grass was dead because it was September and it was the end of the, you know, after summer, my grass was dead. I remember I couldn't find my dog. Just weird stuff like yeah. of the day, of the moments. And it's weird because we've we've had other uh, guests on the show Who that have the shared the exact same experience of, you know, when you are really hit in the gut with a a loss or a tragedy in your life, whether you're there on the scene or obviously if you're getting the phone call, you still, we're all experiencing that, that feeling of, I guess, shock and denial. And you hone in on all those little details. These little things that are peripheral. What what the smell was. And yeah, it's, it's really interesting. It's universal. It's weird. It's very interesting. Yeah. It is a a weird feeling to have that almost time slows down Yeah, and your body just kind of, absorbs whatever is going on around you and that time thing you talked about Brenda was just it was weird yeah like I just didn't know how to how to react my brain was basically scrambled as I'm trying to gather my keys and Mm -hmm. uh, a coat and stuff so I can get to the hospital and yeah just that those moments were almost surreal it was very much of a blur and wanting to protect his family uh foremost Yeah. yeah yeah speaking of a blur so a lot of officers get a a, a very large memorial uh, funeral, um, and then of course there's the law enforcement memorial down at uh, down at the Olympia Capitol that has a ceremony as well. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what it was like um, to go through all of those different sort of things after that? It becomes very ceremonial, and how you're dealing with your grief while those sort of largely ceremonial things are happening. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so in law enforcement, obviously, um, we're very sad when these big events happen because these people are out there. Nobody goes to work hoping to lose their life. And mm-hmm. we, we put on these tools around our waist and a bulletproof vest to help stop something that might harm you. And we swear to uphold you know, these laws and protect people. And sometimes we, you know, we end up losing our life because of it. And it was tough. Uh, I had a, a six-day-old son. Um, I had a three-year-old daughter at home. A uh, wife that you know just gave him birth to our second child, and and now basically I had to pick up and leave a lot, and yeah. and it was it was very tough because it is very public um, mm-hmm. from right. pe- the, mo- the memorial growing at his house to the memorial growing uh, where he was killed at, wow. and all the stuff that we were doing as a detachment. So we all basically came back together and were doing things together. Um, as we, you know, we had, they have casket watch, even we weren't directly involved with that, but just trying to understand all this, this grief of what just occurred. Um, somebody that you spent hundreds of hundreds of hours with standing yeah. 
know, either chasing people or working speed together or whatever it was, or playing with our kids uh, at home. And I still remember the, the things that we did at his house together with our kids playing big wheels and yeah. the food, the food we ate together and stuff like that. And, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So being that it's a very, uh, we're very ceremonial, like you said. So getting through this process and, and people reaching out, which is very kind of the public and people really do care and this large memorial and trying to, and just remember the day of, I was on a, we were a motorcycle detachment. So we would go to every law enforcement funeral as motorcades. Yeah. But now we are part of the motorcade. Sean did tons of these, um, unfortunately for uh, soldiers and other things that were mm-hmm. um, killed. And so now that we are kind of that package and it's very surreal as the Memorial our WSP Memorial Foundation. Um, right. We have behind the badge groups that will come in and they set up all this stuff up. So they're getting all his items to be put in, you know, the Comcast arena at the time right. to wow. do all these things. So and it's just amazing. The support of the people. I remember riding in the motorcade that day, the people saluting on the side of the street on overpasses, just the outpour of, of, of support was absolutely amazing. And, we can never thank the public enough and they don't understand. They, they might not know it, how grateful we are of the people that support us. And even the people that don't support us, that's okay. We're out here to help them when they, in a the time of need, Yeah, mm-hmm. they may not like what we do or they might not agree with it, but when they need us, we're going to hope to show up for them and do what we can uh, provide the best service. So, yeah. but just having that public memorial and get through, it's tough. You, um, for me, at least I put, I, but when I put my uniform on, it's, it's basically another person that comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's a shield up. So I tend not to show emotion as much, obviously, because I don't want to feel that people, you know, people look for me for that strength and stuff. And when you're in that time of vulnerability, it's tough. And seeing just, there was a song they played, uh, simple man that his wife picked for him at his service. And that song still resonates with me a ton because, you know, Sean was that kind of guy, you know, he's just, that song, you know, embodies this man and, Mm -hmm but letting your emotions show is hard. Yeah. And when it's being streamed live on TV to news stations and right. And this uh, obviously not a private moment because everybody wants to show their support for what he did. Mm -hmm. And, but you're right there in the middle of it. And it's really hard um, to let, let your guard down because you don't want to look vulnerable while you're in uniform because it's just tough. It's it's, that's an image. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you've got your, I mean, in a way, like you said, you're putting on your, like your game face, almost like you put your yeah. uniform on and like, you're probably in go mode. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Turn, you turn it on and then you try to turn it off. It's mm-hmm. hard. Yeah. That's really interesting. Wow. wow. Okay. So we have never done this with a law enforcement professional and we've actually, I don't think we've ever done this for a sissy sign of an adult male. So I don't this think is, we have. This is a first. Yeah. Uh, so I thought this would be very clever. Trooper Glover, can you talk a little bit about some of the sissy signs from Sean that you have received during your time? Oh, over the last few years, it's been a, a couple of different things, you know, from, you know, traffic stops or even pursuits that are weird that will come at a certain time or, you know, the way somebody talks to me when I'm on a traffic stop and it, it just instantly clicks back to like Sean standing there and I was like, that was weird. Oh, wow. And wow. yeah, and just have some of the, the traffic stop stuff and some, uh, some of the talk. And then some of the random stuff, uh, the, he was in the military. So I had picked up on some of those things by accident mm-hmm. when I'm talking to other military signs. So you would ask him like, what's your rank? And, you know, and, and so now I, fall, I found myself multiple times. I wasn't in the military. And so he taught me a lot about, 
know, he was a purple shirt and he used to work on aircrafts and yeah. field things. And so having those random things instantly come back to me. Yeah. That's I'm talking cool. to a, a person or his badge number will pop up in a really random spot. Mm. Um, he liked red, red items. Like his motorcycle was red. His truck was red. So his color thing was red. Yeah. So see some of the, uh, some really random red things with yeah. his badge number sometimes on it. Oh, um, that's cool. Yeah. Um, that is just, you know, those re- really weird uh, or uh, at gas pumps sometimes, you know, stop at one zero one one zero seven six and yeah. just have some of those signs is that he's always with me. I can tell you that like the yeah. there's not a day goes by that something will pop in my mind uh, because of him and just remember when I'm having a bad day of and I smile because of all the craziness, all the fun, all the laughter he brought to our lives yeah. um, that I had outside work with him and. And I always tell people when you find that person at work that you're just so excited about, get to go to work, and it's not like work because you're going to work to hang out with your buddy and they're paying you. Holy crap, it's amazing. Yeah, it's, that's it's, so you're, cool. you're like, I can't wait to go to work today because I get to hang out with my buddy yeah. and I get to work with my friend, and it is it's absolutely exciting. Yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. It sounds like he. It sounds like you feel him with you every day, almost. Oh, constantly. Yeah, that's constantly. pretty cool. Okay, so getting back to the questions. So one of the things that I found really interesting is you suffer this loss, and then as an officer, you're basically, you're right as a trooper, you're right back out on the street. You're actually working again. How do you take any time to grieve after you lose someone like your partner? That, that's hard. Um, we have peer support, and we have chaplainly service, which is actually really nice. So the first time I kind of was probably three, four weeks after it happened that I had been kept stuff pent up a lot. Mm-hmm. And we yeah. sat down with our chaplainly service and I spent a lot of time with them and just talked it out. And just, I had obviously some anger, even though it was an accident, yeah. but just pissed yeah. that this stupid accident happened and Sean lost his life over it. And it could have happened probably another 50 times and it never occurs as this exact same way. Mm. And it I was just angry. Um, I knew his family. He, we had kids, uh, sim, uh, not close, close in age, but our daughters were close in age and they played together and I was just mad. Yeah. And so to let so that cool. out, yeah, I was just angry and to get over it. And I wanted to be angry at somebody or at something. Mm-hmm. I was mad at the guy driving the semi for knocking the bridge down. Cause without that bridge closure, this doesn't occur. And one thing, one thing leads to another. And that was probably the first time I really sat down and talked about it with the chaplaincy service and, and kind of let out my anger and some of my feelings, my emotions, my sadness of losing this guy. Um, We were kind of like the three amigos on the weekends Mm -hmm. and it was just different. And I went back to riding motorcycles um, not long after Mm -hmm. um, because that's what we did. Um, Again, that was one of the barriers and, and not that it was an escape for me, but it was an escape almost to uh, get back to what I what I knew, um, what I was good at. And so put on the helmet, put on your glasses, put on your gloves, and go do business. Yeah. So I hid behind that for quite a while. And, and I'm ashamed to even say, but I didn't take care of my family as much as I, as I should have on my home side because I – I felt so much guilt and so much uh, need to take care of Sean's family 
that that's where my focus was, even though I had a newborn at home. So mm-hmm. I really, I struggle with that, that balance and, and yeah. my job, my, who am I? And, and now my wife is obviously a little bit scared that I'm going to go do the exact same thing tomorrow. I'm going to go get back on this motorcycle. And now I have not one kid, but two kids and mm. a wife. And so yeah, that trying to balance that and, and out of the woodwork, all these people telling my wife or basically, is she crazy for letting me go to work? And, and, wow. but I signed up for this years ago um, before we met. So she knew going in what I did for a living. Um, Cause we had, met before this and I was going to do it and I was bullheaded. I was strongheaded yeah. and it, but it made me feel good at the time to cover up just that emotion to go back. Sean loved riding motorcycles. We mm-hmm. rode um, off duty together um, and we rode all the time together at work. So it was one of those things like get back to it. And people couldn't understand why would I do that? Why would you put yourself back in that danger after just what happened? Yeah. And I didn't want to let that event stop me from our joy and i know sean would not be happy if i just said oh i'm done i'm yeah. not gonna ride motorcycles because of this and he would have smacked me upside the head and said yeah, we yeah. got work to do yeah and yeah. we got business to handle so i felt solace sometimes that when i had a chance to get back on the bike and clear my head you know turn off my cell phone unplug my headset and then just ride um feeling him next to me uh, feeling him right there together yeah. And have, you know, and having those chances. So, yeah, you know, I guess I ran from my grief for quite a while, too, where I I dived into this nonprofit and I like poured my heart and soul into it because this was my way of connecting with my daughter and like, I guess, putting all my anger and my grief into the nonprofit. Like it made me think that I was healing. But I really now five years later, it felt like man, I kind of ignored all my grief and all my feelings for quite a few years before I started accepting it. So like, did you experience that too? And after your loss, like, and you dove right back into work and like writing and doing what you loved with your partner, did you ever feel like grief kind of caught up to you where you started, like it kind of hit a brick wall at some point? Oh yeah. Yeah. I definitely pushed it down for a couple of years. I just mm. got into uh, work mode. So mm-hmm. after the initial kind of period when everything kind of started to go back to normal, the, you know, all the people you know, lack of a better words, kind of went away, mm-hmm. you know, all this attention kind of, mm-hmm. you know, we started to go back into our daily lives and work was just work again. I was actually in college finishing up my bachelor's degree at the time. So I took a, a short pause of a couple months from that because I was just finishing up my bachelor's degree at the time. Um, and I had this newborn and it was for me, it was just a, a go, 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 go thing. And then once everything kind of got back to normal, I had to kind of face it and accept that, unfortunately, he wasn't coming back. It wasn't going to be normal again. Um, You know, and with the patrol, being going back to that ceremonial pieces, there's there's stuff that goes on, you know, six months and every year. Right. Every every year we revisit this on his anniversary. So every year there's usually some type of ceremony or something. And we go to a memorial dinner every year. So, right. And every year. And after this, we had done, you know, road, road name dedication. So there's Mm -hmm. always something. So it never settled, but it, and which I, it never will settle with me, but it was all, it, it, we brought it back up every, you know, whatever time we did uh, another event and um, Mm -hmm. try to protect his family from this. And, and 
and then obviously there's the next year that um, a couple months after this happened, we hit summer and then school starts again and his kids have to go back to school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now Sean was very involved in his kid's school. So everybody, you know, knew about this. So, and trying to protect his kids yeah. from, yeah. unfortunately kids and other people can sometimes be mean if maybe they're doing it on purpose because they want to make themselves feel better or whatever, but you have those naysayers or those outliers. And, and because of what he did for a living, you'd have those mean people say That's mean horrible. things to his kids. Yeah. And yeah. he just wanted to protect them mm-hmm. from those people. Um, these poor kids, they didn't, des- they don't deserve this. They just mm-hmm. lost their father. Yeah. And, you know, and Alyssa, Sean's wife uh, was grieving this. And now she's now a, a single mother and trying to get through all this and protect her children. And, and he was a he was a larger than life pe- person in this community. Everybody mm-hmm. knew this guy. Sean was so outgoing that he was even probably way more than me, which is insane. Wow. Yeah, that is hard to <laughs> yeah. believe, sir. I know. I talk a lot. Uh huh. <laughs> That's well. Let me get sorry. A little tangent. One quick story, actually. So um, Sean was a few years ahead of me in the patrol. He had sixteen years on at this point, and I had about twelve ish years on. So when I was working the road. He was all working roads. So we were patrol cars and stuff. We actually, when we first met, we didn't get along. We actually oh. butted heads together, which yeah. is actually pretty, pretty funny. Um, I remember sitting in our squad room one day and, and I'm a new guy. I'm pretty young and I'm, I know a lot of stuff, I think. And he's a pretty young guy and he knows some stuff, but he's got more time on than me and he's going to teach me what I'm, how to do it. And <laughs> I'm going to be like, no, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> so these two kind of alpha males, you know, yeah. we smack heads together and he, he te- comes in, tells me, and I tell him no. And, you know, and basically, Hey, you can screw off. You can screw off. Cool. You want to go get coffee? Yeah. yeah. Cool. <laughs> so, um, kind of like that brotherly love thing. And yeah. then a few years later, he wanted to join motorcycles with me and uh-huh. I was all for it. And ever since that day, and when he started talking about, yeah, I think I might want to do that with you. It yeah. was like, but we had that, that bond that we, initially we were two strong-willed dudes yeah but you know we were able to put that stuff aside because our personalities were very similar yeah and just click yeah and that's pretty cool yeah yeah it was just like <laughs> just you know when we first met we we're like bang like no you do it this way i'm not doing that yeah and then yeah. it was just it was very interesting but <laughs> that's funny. yeah that's funny you know, it's definitely a good time <laughs> so this leads me to um the question of compartmentalization right because all unlike any other profession besides maybe I would say firefighters, you, you, uh, law enforcement professionals and firefighters, you guys deal with it the most and, and folks who are in the military. This idea that you could lose somebody in the line of duty, you do lose somebody in, in the line of duty, but you are still expected, as you said earlier, to put on the uniform and be this other almost impervious person. Like you're, you, you can't let it in. How do you compartmentalize the feelings you're going through uh, while you're still making calls? Are you still pull, you're still pulling people over? You're still interacting with mm-hmm. the public as a trooper, and then on top of that, you also now have younger uh, younger uh, troopers who are under your who are under your supervision. How do you help them compartmentalize that sort of stuff? Ah, oh, well, wow, that's great. Um, that's actually very tough, but. Again, when you put on that armor, it's like you don't I'm not I'm not Dion at home. I'm, you know, Trooper Glover or I'm not I'm, I'm Sergeant Glover, but mm-hmm. you still try to bring that personality um to the uniform so people can understand that 
I am a dad, I am a husband, I am a friend, and I have these feelings, but without letting it affect my job. Mm-hmm. Um, it's weird. Motorcycle troopers and, and motorcycle cops in general, people attract them, which mm-hmm. is kind of weird. Even the, the guys that might not like cops at all, but they want to talk about motorcycles yeah. because you're on a motorcycle like <laughs> yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's the craziest stuff. Yeah. You have people pull up on you the freeway and want to talk about motorcycles while you're like you're in stuck <laughs> while in traffic. You're working. And, That's yeah. Funny. Well, even you're just even if you're just commuting, somebody you're stuck in traffic together, some guy will pull up next to you in a car, man, and talk to you about motorcycles. That's so, so funny. Being able to, you know, compartmentalize it is tough. But you know, bring the, as I got older in this profession, as I got more time on, I started you know, let more of me seep out mm-hmm. for my first few years. It was very rigid because I was trained to do a job and be this kind of person. And it was hard. Um, I was not a jerk, but I was very on guard, very guarded mm-hmm. my first few years. And mm-hmm. I remember having nightmares and grinding my teeth and cause wow. I was always not freaked out or not scared per se, but on hyper, with you know, hyper vigilant constantly, I wow. couldn't go home and turn it off my first few years as a trooper. I just couldn't. Yeah. But as I started going to these scenes and having compassion for these people and dealing with some people in some really tough times, you, you let more of that come out. So mm-hmm. more of it seeped out in my daily work life and the people I get to communicate with. They're, you know, little kid at a store and says, you know, wants to run up and talk to you because of you are a cop and they're really excited. And, yeah. and even cooler, you're a motorcycle cop. Oh my God. Like, and, <laughs> and yeah. even these events, I uh, go to a touch a truck event or something and parents, you can see dads, you know, dads want to be tough you know, in front of the cop with yourself. And you can just see the, like the, the pure joy. They're like, Oh my God, this guy's a more sort of cop. I want to get on his bike so bad. So I would constantly egg these people on to get them to sit on my bike and yeah. engage with them because that's really, I really where I found the joy. And Sean had that same love. We would yeah. do a ton of events. We would do recruiting events together. We would go to these events together and, just us interacting with the public was so much fun. Yeah. And so not that I can part my but that's how I started to bring out some of my insight is okay. because of Sean, mm. um, as I got time on and just, and I let it out. I started letting it seep out a little bit more and yeah. let my personality bleed through instead of being so rigid and let people see really what's behind the badge. What is, you know, we are people. I love motorcycles oh, just, cool. just like I do outside of work that did inside of work, but, it was just cool because they let me do it at work too. Yeah. They're going to give me money for it. Yeah, yeah. See, that's interesting. So it's not so much compartmentalizing it for you as it was integrating yourself into your into your profession a little bit more, actually allowing yourself some of those little things in to where you became a better trooper as a result of it. Yeah, I, I had to let it out because uh, oh, it was, was going to eat me up. Yeah, mm-hmm. my I couldn't I couldn't let my anger um, bleed over to you know my my work and the poor guy that unfortunately hit Sean was an accident. This wasn't like an, an intentional act, so I had no hatred towards or upset towards this person. Um, to this day, I actually don't even know who the person is because mm. that's not uh, something important to me. It's just the accident itself, mm-hmm. uh, what occurred. Yeah, um, but yeah for that so yeah yeah i can't i i can't end uh, the interview with actually without talking to you about something you and i talked about as we were prepping you still have these feelings when you even do something as simple as a traffic stop that sometimes feelings of unease feelings of nerves all sort of things i think that Uh. one of the things that is lacking in today is this idea of empathy or trying to realize what the other person's going through uh, and attaching human feelings to 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 a person, 
So I think it would be really benefit folks to kind of talk about the, the feelings you go through even when you're making a traffic stop, you do have nerves and you do have like things that you think about when you're making those. So it's incredibly complex. It's not as simple as an officer pulled me over and he coldly, you know, did went through these sort of different things. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, even today. Um, so I'm a sergeant now. I got these uh, eight young guys that work for me and I feel a tremendous amount of, of care for these guys and women that work for me. And it holds, a, I'm not gonna lie, it holds a lot of weight, a lot of bearing on my I heart bet. because I don't want anything to happen to these poor folks mm-hmm. because they are great people. They, they just truly want to serve. And the angst when they walk up to cars, even for me, it's not even me. Yeah. Um, I could be listening to them yeah. um, walking up to cars because the, like, you know, that, that life kind of flash before your eyes thing goes to my head constantly because of my children at home or um, how often do I revert back to Sean of, what his family was going through yeah. at the time. And I'm listening to these traffic stops or somebody's not stopping. And now I got to put this trooper that works for me or in harm's way in for a pursuit that mm-hmm. you don't know why and what is on the other side of that window. So when I walk up to a window, I have no idea most commonly. We never do rarely what's on the other side. Mm. Yeah. Everybody, everybody thinks we do, but we really don't. So mm. you don't really know what's on the side of that window. If the windows are tinted or did this person excuse me, just rob a bank. We have no clue most of the time. You might be stopping them for a simple violation, but it turns into, it could turn into something crazy or it could just be grandma going to the store and for whatever, her lights are not, I don't know. But you have all these feelings that are just come rushing to you. And when you're, when we're out there working, you want people to know that we're truly trying to, not just their safety, but other people's safety. And it may feel cold because we're writing speeding tickets or seatbelt tickets, but um, that's part of everybody's safety to be, so everybody can move freely on the freeway. We have these pursuits. We have these things that are dangerous, and we just want to make sure that everybody's safe. And the public, I hope they know, is that it weighs a lot on us uh, when we do these things or when we go to these crashes and somebody's life's been affected by a what we consider a minor collision, but it's a big deal in their lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And it's hard sometimes to get out of that because we all have our what we call routine things. Mm-hmm. And but truly nothing is routine because a routine, so-called routine traffic stop mm-hmm. could turn into something crazy. It might be for a taillight out, you know, in the middle of the night, but then that guy in the car in the car that you're stopping for a taillight out, maybe he just shot and killed somebody. I don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. But now yeah. it now it just went from zero to crazy. Yeah. Um yeah. so you just don't know. So that way it does weigh heavy. I do have a side question. Yeah. Do you feel like now, obviously, you've had your career for quite a long time. Do you kind of feel like you've gotten more intuitive about about oh. stopping somebody? Like, do you kind of have a feeling? Yes, completely. Um, I kind of you, just there, wonder that. Yes, there are definitely signs that you mm-hmm. see of of <laughs> just how people react to their car. I drive an unmarked car now, but when they figure out who I am or when I see one of our patrol cars. Yeah. They will intentionally like change lanes. They'll slow down. Yeah. They're they're trying to get away from you, and you're like, that is odd. Uh-huh. And you're, something, like, you're kind of sticking yourself out there when yeah. you're yeah. <laughs> being weird. Yeah, yeah. And I've I've done thousands of traffic stops in my 17 years, and there is something to say for intuition. There's that weird stop. You'll have something on the back of your neck, your hair stand up, and you're mm-hmm. like, something's not right about this. Mm. Something yeah, is creepy. weird about this contact. It is very creepy, and. You look around because you're not sure what is going on. 
And a lot of times it works out, but other times you're like, uh, I don't feel good about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm not, and I'm not going to lie. Am I gun shy sometimes? I'm like, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just because you're walking up to a window, you just sometimes don't know or right. crap, this car's not stopping. Why? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you find out the car's stolen or the person's got a felony warrant in the car or whatever it is, or, um, they're wanted for something mm-hmm. or it's the silliest thing. It might be the most minor thing. They don't have a driver's license, but yet they speed away. Now we're in a pursuit and yeah. then they crash or we get them later. And you're like, is that was all? That's yeah. It? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man. But yeah, it, it just, it, yeah, it definitely gives you though that, that, you know, that kind of eerie feeling it's mm-hmm. that's, but as you get older in it, your so-called spidey senses just kind of perk up. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's just cop intuition is, and, I try to teach that to my young guys now and we talk about it and um, I can't tell you, I probably get sick of me talking to them because I'm now the old guy All right. yeah. you know, talking <laughs> to these guys um, about safety, about driving slower. And yeah. I, I probably sound like the old crappy guy. They're like, I'm like, slow down. Yeah. I don't like pursuits. Stop. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're like, oh, come yeah. on, Sarge. Yeah. You know, I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah. How, but, how weird is it to be the Murtaugh from Lethal Weapon? Oh, I'm getting too man. old for this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Seriously. I got 17 years on. Most of my guys got a year or two on. Uh-huh. So they're very, very young. Uh-huh. And, but they are fantastic guys and, and gals I've gotten to work with over the years. And, the guys that work with me now, I was with them last night. They're fantastic. Yeah. They're out there working hard, trying to make a difference. And they're starting their careers where I was all those years ago. And now I'm not, the, I'm on the second half of my career, which is good, yeah. you know, which is great. But wow, it's how times have changed. Right. Yeah. I'm now right. the old guy slowing down and trying to protect my little, my little cubs, basically. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, you know yeah. but it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, how did your experience, you've hit on it a few times. How did your experience specifically with Sean and losing him, how does that now inform how you work with, uh, with those who are under your supervision? Yeah, that's crazy. A lot of the guys, almost actually all of them, none of them were working for us when Sean was killed. So wow. when they started working for me, none of them had any idea that I worked with Sean, um, that I rode with Sean. So when I tell them, they kind of like stop and, and everybody where I working with, with uh, in King County, none of them were almost were working when he was killed in the line of duty. Mm-hmm. So it's, they always kind of like pause. And as I share my experiences with them and what that looks like, they kind of take a pause, which is good because, you know, I have this connection and and most these young guys, which is great, they haven't had to go through a line of duty death or they haven't had to go through somebody that they know. Because when you first start, you really want to think that you're, you know, we wear this armor. We're, we're superhuman per se. Yeah. And a lot of young guys go through that. And once you realize that you're not and you really try to protect them and try to impart in them of be safe, do what's yeah. right for the community. And sometimes they might not understand it right away. Um, but that is because I've been through this and I don't want to see mm-hmm. somebody kill my duty it is the worst experience yeah. um, that you could really go through. Any, any last things you want to say or share with listeners about uh, law enforcement, about, you know, feelings that you get, anything like that, anything else you want to share about your time? I just got to tell the public that, you know, and your listeners that the biggest compliment when just somebody says, thank you, that really goes a long way because in today's society, sometimes that might get lost with social media and other things. And there's great organizations out there supporting us and what you guys are doing for families. And it's like the listeners know whatever they're going through that I can guarantee you if they, if they see a cop and they need to talk, that person will, will find time to, to listen. 
I still have these vivid memories of some of the scenes I've gone to and of a couple kids scenes, unfortunately, of kids killed in car accidents and, and they'll stick with, stick with you. And they're hard, you know, as you are working through these, these uh, scenes and try not to get too emotionally attached to these families, because you do meet the parents, Mm -hmm. you do meet their brothers and sisters and, it is, is very sad and we get, you know, I got to put on my uniform tomorrow and go back after it again and go back and, and get ready to go work and stuff. And I just want those families know they're not alone, um, that we share in those grief and those times and that every single scene we go to, um, it takes a little piece, for, it takes a little piece from you. So no kidding. Um, we might not know them directly. We might not have ever met them before. Just the work we're doing at their, at their collision scene or whatever happened to them that day. It's just, we try to care for them um, and their families and get them through this tough time. And just know a podcast like this with your organization, Brandon and, and Phil, and, and you guys are out there helping people talk through this and losing a child is something I can't imagine going through and your strength to help others and your time of grief is, is just amazing because Thank you've you. impacted more lives and, and you probably don't even know people that just tune in to listen to you and, and see like, wow, she was able to move forward and give back and, and, and build this organization. Um, without this organization, there's somebody out there that doesn't know where to turn. You're able to give them a voice or give them a podcast to listen to. That's beautiful. That great. beautiful. Thanks so much for being so open with us and mm-hmm. sharing really coming from the eyes of an officer trooper. I don't want to call you officer. I want to call you trooper. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Brand, Brand, I mean, come on, Phil. don't make that mistake. But, That's amateur. I mean, it's really, it's yeah. interesting. And it's nice to like, <laughs> I guess, connect because you're um, on the other side of the accidents and yeah. the scenes and stuff. So just to be able to relate what you deal with on a day-to-day basis and bring that reality to our listeners. I mean, I think it's really helpful. And I think too, just that common ground of, you're not alone. Like, you know, there's so many people that might be experiencing depression or grief, you know, any kind of anxiety or just know that you're not alone out there. And it's, it's good to be able to connect and just listen to where you're coming from in your day-to-day life and job and, and having compassion too, you know, and people, like you said, you put on the armor. And I think that there is a stereotype that sometimes people don't really think that you have compassion from our officers, but we clearly do. So yeah. I'm, thank you for being open and sharing that with us because um, it's it's good to hear. And we always back the blue. We support the blue here at Race for Owen. So there you go. it was really an honor and pleasure to have you on Angel Talk. And thank you for sharing. Thanks for having me. I just uh, want we appreciate you guys' support. And you know, as we move forward with going, what's going on in the community, that this conversation can't stop uh, about grief and and about other things that are happening that um, they just know that, you know, our profession is something we work hard at and we don't support the bad officers out there that are putting a, a stain on our, on our profession and, and all those other movements out there that we support those movements um, as a whole and want to make society a better place. That's why we signed up for this job. So uh, we appreciate the support and uh, keep these conversations alive and, Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, man, it's, this is fantastic. Listeners, check out the podcast. There you go. <laughs> there you go. All right. And so that was our really beautiful interview with Trooper Glover. We really appreciate him coming on 
and talking about his loss. I know that it's really hard for folks in his profession that are supposed to appear like that sort of stuff doesn't affect them mm-hmm. uh, to talk about that. But he came on and he really, man, he really, he, it was just great. Yeah, it shows you a whole different side of their big heart, you know, that they're people too, and mm-hmm. they can feel lost just like we do. Yeah, I really loved, there was a moment where he, where he did talk about, you know, the issues that are currently happening today, and he kind of said it the way I think a lot of police officers say it. Uh, he said, uh, if you agree with us or if we don't, if you don't agree with us, we're still going to be here and we're still going to interact with you. Just a lovely. And serve you. Yes. And he said that, like, yeah. we're here to still serve and protect. Yeah. And that is pretty amazing. I think that is the exact encapsulation of what we should be talking about more today. Mm-hmm. You know, this idea that he as an officer says, you might not even agree with my mere presence, but I will still be there to serve and protect. That is really what makes uh, police officers some pretty incredible individuals. Yeah. I thought that was really neat. So uh, great, great conversation with Dion. We really appreciate him opening up about his feelings regarding Sean O'Connell and his family and what he went through. And we hope and pray that, that he's able to, to take Sean's legacy and keep it with him mm-hmm. uh, out there while he serves. And we wish him really well. Yes, thanks for coming on, and thank you to the Washington State Patrol for allowing Dion to come and share his story with us. Absolutely. Great um, point. And honor Sean O'Connell's memory as well. So thank you so much. Yeah, that was a great point. Great point. Uh, as we close, we'll, we'll hit you with a couple of the events that we're going to be doing. So the Endowment Golf Tournament is on. It is on our website. We are going through it. It's going to be modified. You'll see some of that stuff. We'll walk folks through it. But for those who have supported us through this golf tournament, we're still going to do it. It'll still be a great, fun day. It'll have all of the classic race for Rowan things that you've come to know and love. There'll be just some modifications to the event. But overall, we're going to be able to pull this off in the yeah. age of COVID. So we're pretty excited about that. It should be a good day. September 11th, uh, check out our website, raceforowen.org. Yep. We would love you to sign up with the golf team, or if you're interested in sponsoring as a whole sponsor, Absolutely. Uh, there's information on that as well. Yeah. So we would love to see you out. Absolutely. And the final thing, to give some folks an update, because those who bought tickets to the 2020 dinner and auction might be wondering uh, what's going on uh, with that and what we're going to be doing with our with our November event. Our board did agree to uh, turn the November uh uh, the November event into a virtual event after we sent out the survey. Thanks for folks who answered it. Mm-hmm. We got some clear uh, information as to what direction everybody wanted to go in. So we are going to turn it into a virtual event that was a little bit in the style of our April 25th event we had earlier this year. We'll have bottles of wine for sale. We'll have uh, different things to auction off. It'll have a different vibe to it, but it will be a virtual event. We're almost there. I feel pretty, we're almost there, I promise you. We're almost there to people being able to be together again. But as of right now, we'll just make sure we keep it cool and, and allow people to have access to, to the event. So we'll address more of that as we, as, we have the, as we will in the next coming months. But we just wanted to let people know that ahead of time. Great. want to thank uh, Dion for coming on again. want to thank Washington State Patrol again for allowing to come on. And we will talk to you next week with an incredible story from a angel mom, an angel mom who lost her son, Olajuwon, and she kind of followed a little bit in in Bryn's sort of model and made a nonprofit herself. So that's also an incredible story. So we want to thank everybody for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Bye.